You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. And now if you'd please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture reading this morning is from the last three verses in Romans. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this special season that we can enjoy family and food and traditions and so much more, but the real blessing is the giving of your son, Jesus Christ, and his coming into the world. And we praise you and thank you for that, that we can encounter him in music, that we can encounter him in the preaching of your word, the truth of the Bible. And we pray that we can quiet our hearts now and listen to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Craig. Thank you, music team. Didn't know if I would be doing any headbanging and stage diving when I woke up this morning, but I'm usually excited to be up here. Way more excited now. There is a question that I think haunts many during the Christmas season. I think other holidays bring this haunting question to bear, but Christmas especially with its spiritual undertones and thick traditions can leave those who are unattached to God's word or disconnected from any sort of Christian community can leave them with this haunting question, what's the point of Christmas? Some argue that Christmas started off as a thoroughly pagan holiday centuries, millennia ago, and that Christians just grabbed it, put baby Jesus in a manger and called it ours. I'll let historians argue with where it all originated, but in our culture today, there is this haunting question about what is the point of Christmas. Whether we like it or not, we today live in a post-Christian nation. You go back 50 or 100 years, most people would have granted the premise that there is a God who created the world and sent his son on the first Christmas, who died on the cross, was buried, came back to life. Previous times, folks would have granted, there is this thing now for us called the Holy Spirit. Not true today. We are living in a post-Christian culture that is highly consumeristic, 
technologically driven, and yet you look around and folks are so interested in matters of spirituality. You can't get away from these deep questions that are spiritual in nature. And I think that's the reason why at seasons like this, there are some of our friends and family and neighbors who go, man, what is the point of Christmas? Perhaps you're wondering this question. Perhaps some friends are wondering this question. Undoubtedly, our culture is trying to make sense of it. One place you can see our culture wrestling this out is in the movies. You go to movies, it's a good way to read what our culture is wondering and thinking. Even the iconic character, the Grinch, is trying to get his mind, his little bitty heart, around what's the point of Christmas. Haunted by the season. Do you remember that moment after stealing Christmas? As if you could ever steal Christmas. Whatever, Grinch. Do you remember that moment, though? It's in the book. You can see it in the movie. He's puzzling about the point of it all. Quote, then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Yeah, Grinch, you're getting there. But, but, but what is a little bit more? Hollywood and the Grinch would agree with us. I mean, Christmas isn't about Santa Claus, and it's not about presents, despite what my kids might tell you. It's not about a Christmas tree or pretty lights. I love all those things. But what's the point of Christmas? This morning, we come to the end of our sermon series in the book of Romans. And with December 25th, just a few days away, we're considering Paul's final words here with Christmas in view. For those who are joining us for the first time, maybe your mom talked you into being here for whatever reason, you decided to show up. If you're thinking, why in the world would y'all pick Romans 16, 25 to 27 for a Christmas sermon? The answer is that the way we do things around here at Mill Creek is we pick a book of the Bible and then we just march our way all the way through that book till we're done. And as it turns out, this is the last week that we're in the book of Romans. For those of you who've been with us, we've been in here for nine months, walking through all this text. And Romans, at least to me, has become a dear friend, sweet reminder of what it's all about. And so with Christmas in view, the end of the book of Romans before us, we'll consider four Christmas questions this morning. First, who is the Christmas story really about? Second, who's the Christmas story really for? Third, where does the Christmas story really lead? Fourth, how should I respond to the real Christmas story? And if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open up to Romans chapter 16, verses 25 to 27? We'll begin with the first question. Who is the Christmas story really about? Now, as we look at this text, I understand Paul's not only thinking about the Christmas season here, but since Christmas is so crucial to the gospel, since, since Jesus, who was 
part of the Godhead and then added humanity and then came in a manger is so important to the message of salvation for all peoples. With that in view, we see so many great connections to the birth of Christ here from the text, 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings. For those keen enough to lean in, here's what the Christian life, here's what the Christmas story is all about. Heads up, Grinch. Paul's about to drop on you that it's not Santa who can strengthen the church. It ain't Saint Nick who strengthens the church. No, the Christmas story, it's all about the one who can strengthen you, and that's God. That's who Paul's alluding to in 25. Now to him who's able to strengthen you, Christians. It's God who strengthens. Now, if you've been with us through the book of Romans, you might remember that in this letter, we've come to realize that the church of Rome was having a real hard time because there were some who thought, if I just keep the rules, I will be strengthened. Others thought, because I'm born ethnically Jewish, I will be strengthened. Some thought rule-keeping, some thought ethnicity, some thought religiosity. If I just go through these motions, that is going to strengthen me. But Paul's so clear in these 16 chapters saying, no, 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 no. No one is righteous. No, not one. If Paul were here and you walked in admitting, Paul, bro, I'm a godless pagan. I never go to church. I don't give a rip about, about him. Paul would say, you're not righteous. Which my guess is if you're admitting to be a godless pagan, you go, well, that makes sense. Seeing as I self-identify as godless, it makes sense that God sees me unrighteous. Now, on the other hand, if you came in going, oh, bro, I am, I am the world's best rule follower. I'm so religious. Like, there's nothing you could do that's more religious than me. Paul would say the same thing to you. Before God, you're not righteous either. Which actually may offend way more of you than the godless pagan. At least godless pagans are honest, Yeah. Yeah, I know, I need God. I'm a, I'm a mess. But so are the religious. And through this letter, Paul has said, no one is righteous. No, not one. Godless pagans are not righteous. The highly religious are, are not righteous. Even those who are ethnically Jewish, in and of their own ethnicity, you've got particular blood veins, it doesn't make you righteous. There's nothing you can do to strengthen yourself. Rule following doesn't strengthen you. Your ethnicity doesn't strengthen you. Your religiosity doesn't strengthen you. But you want to know who strengthens you? Now to him who can strengthen you. It's God. Here then is what the Christmas story is all about. It's all about God. It's all about what God can do. And if we're going to talk about the Christmas story, if you're preaching Jesus, verse 25, you got to include when the God-man arrived, what we celebrate as Christians on December 25th. If you're preaching Jesus like Paul did, Romans chapter 1, 3, he makes sure to clarify Jesus was a descendant of King David. Lineage is important to Paul, so it is with Matthew in chapter 1 when he tells the Christmas story. See, there were all of these prophets in the Old Testament. If you didn't know, the, 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 the first two-thirds of your Bible, it's the Old Testament. And, and there's all these prophets writing these 
cryptic and mysterious messages, and, and they didn't get it all, but what Paul's saying is the revelation of the mystery, that, that which was a secret, we now know. What is the secret that we now know? That Jesus was born in a manger, and the Savior is here. Hallelujah. Isaiah seven fourteen: a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son called Emmanuel. Oh, that's Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, a child will become king and the government will be on his shoulders. Oh, that's Jesus. 2 Samuel 7, 16, King David's throne will be established forever through one of his offspring. Yes, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. It's Jesus. He will establish and uphold justice and righteousness forevermore. Christmas inaugurated. The gospel. And it's what Paul's last words are all about. And that's what Christmas is all about. No wonder God sent some angels to go tell some lowly shepherds, glory to God in the highest and earth peace for those with whom he is pleased. For anyone here who's feeling like the Grinch, not sure what Christmas is all about, or any of you who have a friend who is the Grinch. Hear the good news. The Christmas story is all about God. So that's who the Christmas story is all about. And we're celebrating Christmas mindful that that's when this gospel message was inaugurated. But who is the Christmas story really for? Question number two. Who's it for? At the end of verse 26, let me show you. It's now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. What Paul has labored to emphasize for these 16 chapters is that the good news of Jesus Christ, the message of salvation, is not only for ethnic Jews. Yes, God has a plan for those who are ethnically Jewish. Pastor Jeremy, I'm actually Jewish. Does God have a plan for me? Yes, he does. And it's in Romans chapters 9 to 11. He lays it out. But the message of salvation is not only for those who are ethnically Israelites. The message of salvation is for all nations. Look back at verse 26. It's according to the command of God that it should be known to all nations. See, some might have a tendency to go, ah, oh, you know, old Paul, I've read a few of his books. He's, yeah, Paul, he really cares about all the nations, but I don't have to. Now, I would argue, no, 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 it's God who has a missionary heart. God's the one who cares that the world would come to know him. Paul's just following God's heart. If, if you've never read through the Bible, what a great, what a great idea for you in 2022. Read through the Bible, cover to cover, and we can help you figure out how to do that. If you did, I would encourage you to pay attention to every time God's heart for the world is mentioned. You're going to see it throughout the scriptures. Paul actually introduced it at the beginning of his letter when he wrote in Romans 1.5 that, that Paul's heart was to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of God's name among all the nations. Here's what I'm trying so hard to communicate. This is what I want you to get. 
Just as Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And just like Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, 8, when Luke recorded him saying, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God has always had a heart for the world that all tongues and all tribes and all nations would hear and believe the gospel. The Christmas story then, the good news that Jesus has come to save sinners like you and I, the Christmas story, it's for all the world. Christmas isn't just some American holiday. I don't care what day you want to celebrate it, but the world needs to know that God added humanity and he came as a baby out of love for you. So, Christmas story is really about God, and the Christmas story is for the whole world. But where does it actually lead? That's question three. Question three, where does the Christmas story really lead? Now, again, this morning, I'm pointing us to the the Christmas story, but Paul's got the whole message of Jesus in mind because, because the message of Jesus is not just that he came to be born in a manger, that's wonderful and beautiful, but when Paul talks about the message of Jesus, he's thinking about Jesus' perfect life, Jesus' trail and death on the cross, Jesus' burial, the empty tomb, He's thinking about Jesus' ascension. Today, Jesus is at the right hand of God at his current reign. He will come again for his people. He will then take us to be with him for eternity future. When Paul's thinking about Jesus, he's thinking about this entire context of Jesus' future ministry. And so when Paul explains this message of Jesus, what does this gospel message do? Back to 25. Now to him who's able to strengthen you. Strengthen you. Would you say strengthen? One, two, three. Strengthen. Now to him who can strengthen you. This is what the gospel message does. But maybe you're looking at a Bible and the word actually says establish. Would you say the word establish? One, two, three. Establish. Either word actually works in the original language. You can go either way. It's either establish, like to create your faith, or to strengthen your faith. In fact, if you're taking notes, you might just circle whichever word you have there and write the other one so you understand his meaning. Paul's saying it can strengthen you or it can establish you. What that means is God's the one who strengthens our faith. He's the one we need to be built up and to grow in Jesus. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm just trying to figure this Christian life out, man. I'm new to this thing. What, What do I need to know? What do I need to do? The answer is the gospel. It's Jesus who strengthens you. But if you're like, yo, man, I totally, I have no clue who Jesus is. I have no understanding, no comprehension of the gospel message. What do I need to be established in my faith? The answer is you need the gospel. You need the gospel. This is where the Christmas story leads. It'll strengthen your faith. It will establish your faith. But maybe you're thinking, whoa, 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 pastor. Why are you saying it's the gospel message that does that when in the text it says, now to him who's able to strengthen you? In the text, pastor, it says God's the one who does this. Why do you keep saying it's the gospel that does this? Good 
clarifying question. Undoubtedly, it is God who will establish our faith and strengthen our faith. Meaning, if you're here and you're not a Christian, and later on you become a Christian, only God has that power. Or if you're here and, and something happens in the worship service where your faith is strengthened, well, that only happens because of God. But the reason I keep saying it's because of the gospel is because that's what Paul is connected. Look how God does this. How does God do that? Verse 25 in your text, according to the gospel. End of verse 25. According to the revealed Old Testament writings. What are the Old Testament all about? It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel. Middle of verse 26. How does God do it? According to God's command to believe the gospel. What what I'm wanting you to see is The way God saves us and strengthens us is through his gospel. See, it could be the Roman church, they were were messed up. They they were having some problems. They They were feeling all the pains and disunity and they're coming apart at the seams. And and they might have been thinking, look, man, if Paul would just hurry up and get here, if he would just hurry up and get here, he could knock some heads together and he'd figure this thing out for us. You know what we need? We need Paul to come preach a series for us. It's going to straighten us out. But Paul's saying, man, I don't have the strength to fix y'all. And not just because y'all messed up. No, Paul didn't have any strength on his own. Y'all don't have any strength on your own. I don't have any strength on my own. None of us have any strength. But you know who does have the strength? God has the strength. And the way that he accomplishes the establishing of our faith or the strengthening of our faith is through the gospel. That's what strengthens us. That's what establishes us. Man, we've, we've said this before. The, the gospel isn't just a little door that we go through and then we get into the Christian building and, and now we're in the building. No, no, no. The gospel's the door and the building. Or, or some like to think, yes, I, I've got I to gotta believe in Jesus Christ. I have to repent of my sins. And that's like the diving board that then gets me into the deep end of all the wonderful theology of God. No, man. The gospel's the diving board and the gospel's the pool. It's the whole thing. It's the whole enchilada. It's, it's the message of Jesus that saves you it's the message of Jesus that will strengthen you. And, and this is why every week you come here, you may feel like, gosh, I've been coming for a couple years. Pastor Jeremy, he always does the same thing. He starts from the text, he tries to make some appropriate applications, and then he points us to Jesus. Here's why. It's like we're a one-trick pony up here. Because it's always about Jesus. He's the only one that can do it. This is where the... The Christmas story really leads. It leads us to having established faith and it leads us to strengthening in our faith. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you're pretty sure in your heart that you don't only bow the knee to Jesus. You need the gospel. You need this message of salvation. And Jesus loves you. If If you're here and you do love Jesus, what you need is the Gospel, that's where the Christmas story leads. Final question, how should I respond to the Christmas story? How should I respond then to this Christmas story, Pastor? Last couple verses. But, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. 
Paul's first purpose here, first of two, is to bring about the obedience of faith. Would you say the obedience of faith with me? One, two, three. Obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. Okay, what in the world does obedience of faith mean? I know what obedience is. I know what faith is. Obedience is like following the rules. Faith is trusting in Jesus, but, but, but why is he putting these things together? Turns out he's actually used this phrase before. At the beginning of chapter 1, verse 5, Paul's actually said the same thing. He said, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. So he said at the beginning, he said at the conclusion, what in the world is obedience of faith? Because frankly, many of us separate those things. What is obedience of faith? I I think the commentator Douglas Moo says it best. He, he writes, believing and obeying are two different activities, but for Paul, they were always inseparable. People can't truly obey God without first bowing the knee to the Lord Jesus in faith. And people can't truly believe in that Lord Jesus without obeying all that he has commanded us. See, according to Moo, we are quick to want to separate obedience from faith. And, and there's, of course, a time and a place to separate these and to be very precise because we must be clear, salvation is never Jesus plus obedience. May it never be said that anyone at Mill Creek has ever preached that if you really want to follow God, then you have to place your faith in him and follow the rules. No, it's never that. You don't become a Christian by doing anything on your own. Christianity is beautiful because it's the only religion that says you can't do it. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. But an unintended side effect of reiterating that salvation is Jesus plus nothing is that for those who are Christians, the tendency to minimize obedience as if the rest of our life is Jesus plus nothing. You see, if you're here and you're like, okay, pastor, I'm saved. Jesus plus nothing saves me. Amen. And go tell everybody about that. But if you're going to walk with Jesus, then you must understand, in Paul's view, it's obedience of faith. According to Paul, if you really do have faith in Jesus, we'll see it through obedience. Here's how Martin Luther put it 500 years ago. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Excuse me, it's... See, I think sometimes as Christians, we can have this tendency to think that the Christian life is like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And um, we, we, we got in, Jesus plus nothing, but now you read the Bible and you realize, wow, there's some positive commands. There's some things that... That in the New Testament, it sounds like I'm called to do. I'm supposed to make disciples. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to support the mission of the church. I'm supposed to meet together. And, and we, we approach it like a buffet, like, oh, yeah, I really love that part. So I'll, I'll take some of that on my dish. Oh, that, that's my favorite. I'll do that. That obedience? Yeah, hate that stuff. I ain't going to do that. I'm going to conveniently miss church the week we preach on that because that's yucky. That's not, that's not how it works for Paul. Paul puts them together. Not because obedience ever saved, but because for those who love Jesus, genuine faith 
always shows itself by obedience. So that's the first way to respond to the Christmas story. It's obedience and faith. I mean, if you're here and you're going, look, man, I believe Jesus plus nothing is salvation, then I'd say, okay, amen, you're a Christian. Now go and obey all that Christ has commanded. Not because it earns your salvation, but it is the fruit of a genuine gospel root. Christians live the obedience of faith. Second response, give glory to God. Verse 27, to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. This second response, it brings us full circle to where we started. Who is the Christmas story really about? It's about God and what is the end game of God? What's he always want? His glory. This is what God's about. This is how you understand God. He's all about himself and realizing, oh, you really are the most incredible, mind-blowing, fantastic completely different than any of us. You created us, and it's for your glory, so we're going to make much of you, God. We have a strong God, amen? We have a wise God, amen? We, we, we serve a glory-deserving God, amen? Look, 2,000 years ago, God, in his, in his power and his wisdom, he, he's the one who thought, about bringing the salvation of the world through a baby. I don't know if you get into superhero films, but ain't nobody using that as a plot. Because we're not as smart as God. He decided, I'm going to send the salvation of the world. It's a baby in a manger. And God, not only did he send his only begotten Son in a manger, not only did he send a bunch of angels to tell a bunch of poor and smelly shepherds about how, how he was saving the world through a baby, not only did he have a bunch of cattle lowing and, and three wise men bowing, but, but God, in his all-powerful wisdom, decided to not only save the world through this baby who would grow up and be Jesus Christ, crucified for the sins of the world, put in a tomb, he was dead, dead, and then on the third day, he was raised to life. Not only did he do all that, He had it written down in a book so that story could get told so that we could be here 2,000 years later knowing what God did. Consider, all of this could have happened, but had God not inscripturated that message, we would be lost today. But he's so powerful and so wise, he thought, not only am I going to do this, but I'm going to get it down and I'm going to have language be appropriated so that all tongues, all tribes, all nations would be able to know the message of the gospel. Who would do this? Only God. Imagine the power and the wisdom, the foresight to know we will be lost in our sins if I don't give them this message in a book. God's wise. He's powerful. And when we think about it, we realize He's the one who deserves the glory. And who could have ever devised a plan like this? So how do we respond? Saying only you, God. Only you could do this. For any of you who walked in here and said, I really did wonder, Pastor, what the Christmas story is all about. Now you know. 
Now you know. This is what the whole Christmas story is about. This is why we get so amped up. That's why when they're singing, Noel, Noel, the Savior is born, about to fly out of my seat. I hope you are too. And we want to glorify God and tell the world this is who Jesus is. Perhaps Christmas means a little bit more, the Grinch said. It sure does. It sure does. If, if you're here and you don't count yourself as a Christian, man, the stakes couldn't be higher. Now, I don't know what you think you want for Christmas. I don't know what you think is going to please you. I don't, I don't know what you're looking for to give you some hope or some excitement, fresh feeling this Christmas. But whatever it is, if you don't know Jesus, he's ultimately at the end of every one of your longings, whatever it is. And your life is going to feel purposeless and aimless, and it will be empty until you find Christ. He's who your heart's been created for. The Bible tells us our souls are going to live forever. You will live forever. And, and it's heaven or hell. And Christ is saying, I've made a way for you to be in heaven. Oh, trust in Christ today. It's easy. You can talk to any one of us after this service. You say, say, Jesus, I am sorry for all my sins, and I will trust only in you. Those of you who do love Jesus this morning, the sermon and the sentence for you, look to God this Christmas. And don't settle for what culture tells us Christmas is. Remember what it's really about. And may this beautiful message overflow and be so in your life that you want to go share those you know and love. My guess is, Christians, you're going to be around people this, this holiday who don't know Jesus. So in the right way, tell them who Jesus is. Tell them what Christmas is really about. May the gospel strengthen you to be able to share him. Look to God this Christmas. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the chance to understand what it means. I pray you would, for those who don't know you, establish faith. Holy Spirit, you can right now. You can save would you do it? Jesus, for those who are Christians, I pray you would strengthen us and you would give us boldness to know and share you with others. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.